0: Mr. Magini's gig at the Opera House the other day. Did you go and check that out?
1: Uh, no, I was actually doing my own gig uh, out of town. But um, but I did go to a previous Color Wheel show in a factory in Erskineville. Yeah, I, but I heard. Yeah, Jim. I've spoken to Jim since, and he said the the Opera House gig went really well, and he was really happy with.
0: Yeah, a friend of mine who went to school with Jim said, "Come on, we've got to go." And I said, "No way, I don't need that many guitars in my life. <laughs> <laughs> <I> really,
1: don't." <laughs> When I saw them, they were uh, Jim was heavily, as, as well as playing brilliant guitar and having written all the scores and the music and keeping all the other guitar players from playing over the top of each other. <laughs> um, he was also conducting very heavily to, because it was a very ambient atmosphere. And um, I said to him afterwards, you know, why don't you get your son Sam to play some percussional drums, which relieves you of the conducting as well. Then you can just relax more. So I think he, I think Sam might have been there at the opera house as well.
0: That would have been fun—a nice family collaborative effort.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all got very talented sons and daughters now, all grown up. What do yours do? Well, funny you should mention that. Um, I've just put out a um an album under my my own name. I hope you got a copy up there. No. Oh, okay. I'll get you I'll Can get you, you one sent up, Carol.
0: Is this Gabriella?
1: Yeah. Oh, well done by the way. Yeah, Gabriella's now in Berlin. She finished um, her courses at COFA in Sydney and the National Art School. Yeah. Uh, She did very well and she got some awards, travelling scholarships. She went to Berlin and uh, she was looking out over this wasteland... Uh, from where she was in northwest Berlin and uh, went for a walk in the afternoon and asked one of the locals she came across, why, why was it so deserted? And, um, and he said, well, it wasn't until recently. There was this poplar forest there and full of birds. And she said, what happened? And she said, well, in spite of all our protests and petition, they, they levelled this lovely little forest, which was a buffer between a, a quite industrial area and the local residences. And uh, Ella said well, what's that for? And he said, well, they're putting in a big department store factory and we lost the battle. But he also told Ella that he'd gone for a walk on the day they'd knocked the trees down and found 24 bird's nests. And Ella said, well, what kind of birds they were? And he said, well, I'll I'll send them to you. And so he did. And so Ella painted them as part of her projects that she was doing in Berlin in watercolour on silk flags, uh, about a metre by a metre, which he then attached uh, to bamboo poles and put back uh, where the forest once was. It's oh. that's a kind of a symbolic gesture, you know, uh, <laughs> to remind people of what was lost. And then, now, then, be, being ephemeral artwork, she expected them to be souvenirs, which they quickly were, and they fly now from the balconies of neighbouring apartments looking down over this, this area. Oh,
0: I'll the, tell you what, I'd have pinched one. I'm just having a look at that album cover now that of yours, The Sun Becomes the Sea. The sea yes. This is well, one of your
1: daughter's birds on it. That's the golden oriole on the front, and um, there's 24 of them um, in the hardcover booklet, which which I got made to protect her her artwork, or online, there's a few of them. And uh, I was just finishing a bunch of songs that I'd been doing over a couple of years, Carol, uh, down at Jim's studio, um, and I thought for the first time I'll put it out under my name rather than under the ghosties or whatever. And, yeah. And uh, while Stella was doing this artwork, so it's just one of those lovely synchronicities whereby she agreed that I could use these beautiful watercolour birds for, uh, uh, for the for the sleeve of the book and for the for the new website, which I finally got together, which links the oils. And uh, the backsliders, The Break, you know, Angry Tradesman, Hurston Green, <laughs> Willie's Bar and Grill, et etc. et cetera. Yes. So all the ducks are in line. Finally, you know, I'm such a last adopter. But anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, at least you don't have a band name for me to have to deal with yet on the radio quite like Don Walker does. So
1: I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I know the one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah,
0: I appreciate that very much. Rob Hurst is my guest here at 1233 ABC Newcastle. If I can just bang on a little bit more about... Um, um, our kids doing things and achieving things. I'm going to be hunting a Gabriella Hurst bird now because it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, they are really beautiful. They're um, uh, they're on because they're on silk. Um, there've been a few people saying that I've uh, given the hardcover booklet to who want who are asking whether um, Gabriella was going to do a limited edition of prints because hmm. they'd, they'd like to. To like them blown up and framed, and so that, that's something we might do earlier in the in the new year when she's got a bit more time. Yeah,
0: I think you need to extend the website uh, connection just a little bit further, Papa. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, well, I'm so you know I'm, I'm such a luddite and so naive with these things, you know, because all of these folks have have actually seen these birds and heard the music now because. Uh, online, I'd actually decided to give away all the songs for free as MP3s, thinking that um, it would be just a nice gesture. And because I've had such fun making these songs with the usual suspects, Rick t- Rossman and... Uh, you too recently tried that too. Oh, yeah, but they... Um, <laughs> I would never be so presumptuous to actually upload <laughs> these 11 songs on everyone's iTunes account. But um, it's it's available for those that seek it out and like it. And then there's also the option then to go to a few of those old-fashioned record stores that still exist and which we really want to support, get the hardcover booklet with all of Gabriella's Birds and, and other information and stuff on it, oh, which the CD goes in the back of. Just
0: gorgeous. just And I look forward to hearing some as well. Okay. Now, you just mentioned Rob Hurst, and you may come to regret this. You referred to yourself as a Luddite. Now, I'm sure that that's not at all true. However, it is time for us to talk about um, Midnight Oil as the museum piece. Did you ever think you would get to the stage where you would see your life's work uh, being held up as not just an art gallery piece,
1: but in coming to Newcastle next year, a museum piece. Look, it's just from. It's just. I'm really excited about it because. Um we, we had folks come down from Newcastle to the opening of the Sydney exhibition. Which that was, was at it, the
0: Manly Art Gallery, yeah? Which
1: was at the Manly Art Gallery Museum, that's right, earlier in the year. And and we had so many people come through and I think they were pleasantly surprised because perhaps they thought, oh, you know, Rob's dug out a few old posters, you know, <laughs> and stuck them on the wall with blue Tech or something. But in actual fact, uh, we spent, that is myself and curator Ross Heathcote, uh, and Virginia Buckingham and Wendy Osmond, who did the art direction and such a marvellous job in curating the exhibition. We worked for basically two years on it and we, uh, we've we got a special film which lasts uh, an hour and 15 minutes made by Rob Hambling about the making of 10 to 1 with Nick Lorne producing back in London all those years ago, which has come up beautifully. And we've sourced all this uh, film from um, that comes from, uh, I believe, 1980, uh, so it must be 1984. Four uh, f- footage of the band backstage in South Australia at Memorial Drive up there in Main Beach uh, on the Gold Coast, and there's another, another brilliant film there uh, by Ray Argel. So plus a whole lot of home movie footage, plus uh, the Exxon banner from New York City, plus a full stage setup of the band with the exact. Uh, drums and guitars and amps and backdrop and lights and even the even the same PA to be authentic, uh, from 1987 to 1989, which we toured on the back of the Diesel and Dust album, and much much more. You know, lots of little early recordings that've never been heard, a song that we never released before. And this is the La Pièce de Résistance, Carol, okay. a, um, a replication in a box about the same size as the TARDIS here, yes. <laughs> um, which has sticky carpet and three screens which you walk in and a curtain you pull behind you. Uh, and it's actually of the band playing at the tannelorn Festival, 1981 and you can put headphones on one or or two sets of headphones one one's loud and one's really loud and you can stick to the carpet and there's elbows which come out from the side of the box so that you can be elbowed in the ribs and what I was trying to do was to replicate what it was like coming to see Midnight Oil back then. Oh, boy. You know, at, at the Mawson Hotel or yeah. the 16-Footers Club or the Ambassador Hotel or, you know, whatever. So, And so does really... it have the the special scents in it there? It does. Is... <laughs> it does. I've poured so much uh, <laughs> Tooie's New into that carpet, you've got no idea. And I've, and I've ground some uh, lemon chicken uh, mm-hmm. and sweet and sour, sour rat or whatever it was. Yeah. Because <laughs> you remember in those days a lot of the pubs, they actually had to... Uh, With New South Wales liquor laws, they actually had to pretend to provide a meal if they were serving liquor late. And so no one would ever touch these meals, but they would be knocked off the bar and into the carpet. So we've replicated that as well. And after three months... Uh, in Manly, it's getting quite fruity in there. Oh, that's nasty,
0: Rob. <laughs> that is nasty stuff. Rob Hurst joining me from Midnight Oil here at 1233 ABC Newcastle. And it is. You think about, you know, that, that special odour, the special aroma of, of some of our, our venues in their heyday, and it was pretty crook.
1: <laughs> it was bacterial.
0: As you'd have been if you'd actually eaten that food, I suspect.
1: <laughs> it was interesting. You know, one of the last surviving pubs down here, the Annandale, has just ripped up that carpet. I don't know whether you or your listeners have been to the Annandale in the last four or five years, but the carpet was legendary. I mean, it was absolutely despicable. I mean, they could have scraped it for a new form of penicillin or yeah, something. I was
0: going to you know. say, there's probably a whole new <laughs> antibiotic right there in that carpet.
1: <laughs> they shouldn't have thrown it out. I would have taken a metre square and put it in what became known as Rob's Folly, but is now known as the Royal Royal Antler Room, which is the Northern Beaches pub in Narrabeen that, that Midnight Oil first started playing all those years ago.
0: Rob's Folly.
1: Yeah, it was called Rob's Folly by Ross Heathcote, the curator, because he was just, he was bemused and uh, by, the, by the idea. He didn't think I'd ever build it, but it's actually over six months with a couple of friends, hardworking, underpaid friends, in the back of a Newtown terrace we we actually made it and it looks like a giant road case and i managed to get session catches and corners all rusted so it looks like all the other road cases in the exhibition and uh, but it's big enough for two or three people to cram in, you know, with the elbows and <laughs> and uh, and getting blasted by Midnight Oil at the Tantalorn Festival, which just as an aside, Carol, is the first time we met Rodriguez, who so I know I noticed is touring again right now as we speak.
0: Yes, I noticed through Facebook the other day that one of my friends, you know, that person that you least expect to do something really cool and funky actually went to see Rodriguez. <laughs> well,
1: we um, that is the break. That's myself and Jim and Martin from the Oils and Brian from the Violent Femmes and Jack from Hunters and collectors were lucky enough to be Rodriguez's band two years ago when he first came out after the release of Searching for Sugar Man. You yeah, know, and he, he suddenly, after forty years, became known. Well, he was always known in this country, but known to the the new generation. And um, but we're not touring with him this year. I'm not sure why. But, but uh, <laughs> that was a really fun tour because the break would come on and do half an hour of our, you know, space. Surf, spaghetti, western rock, whatever we do. And (laughs) then we'd change out of our spacesuits and get in black and then I'd swap from the normal Ludwig drum drum kit down to a very quiet little stomp boxy kind of drum kit with brushes because Rodriguez sings so softly. And and Jim would play all these marvellous parts that were originally arranged for Cold Fact and coming from reality off the first album, and uh, it, was, it was great fun to do.
0: Oh boy, see, Cold Fact was one of those albums that my older brothers had, and so therefore, it was one of those things that you know I hated at the time because that my brothers were playing it. Oh, really? And yeah, you could include Led Zeppelin and all that sort of good stuff oh, in there, no. oh. but then you know, a few years later, you kind of catch up a little bit, and all of a sudden, that's when the back catalogue sales spike. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, the, the films like uh, Almost Famous, which came out, you know, I don't know, yep. what, seven, eight years ago, yeah, suddenly introduced a lot of these bands to people who never heard those acts again. And I think the great thing about people listening these days is that unlike our generation, you know, we were determined not to listen to anything prior to, you know, the early 60s, just out of principle. But that doesn't apply, I don't think, to kids now. They just listen to anything and everything and they just either like it or they don't.
0: Rob Hurst joins me from Midnight Oil. And of course, we have that competition underway for you to record your own cover version of a midnight oil song. Hey, speaking of, of people never likely to do something, the fact that the oils have agreed to do this, I was quite stunned by Rob because I figured if there was any band in Australia that was going to say, you know, look, no, we li- like it and we think it's cute and so on. But, you know, you don't mess with the oils. I really thought it would be you guys that said covers of our stuff. No, I don't think so.
1: Well, there's a marvellous cover album you're probably aware of, Kara, which is this Diesel and Dub. Yes. Which is out at the moment, and some of those tracks are great. And I I would just say to the folks that were covering our songs, or in fact anyone's songs, is the best thing to do is to take it and and do it totally differently than the original and do it it exactly the way you hear it, you know, because I think the the most successful cover songs are those which um, take the basic lyrical and melodic idea and then completely go somewhere else with it.
0: Now, February next year, whoever wins this competition, Rob, not to make them anxious or anything, but they're actually going to be performing their song to a bunch of you guys.
1: No pressure. Yeah, can't wait.
0: (laughs) Ah, dear. So you're completely comfortable with the notion, and you're sure you'll you'll be able to keep your happy face on no matter what happens.
1: Look, Carol. Over the years, we've had you know these dance versions arrive of Beds Are Burning or the Dead Heart or whatever you know arriving from Germany and French. You know, I mean, every country has got their own take. Midnight Oil
0: torch song. That's what
1: we need. Well, that's right. I mean, it can be it could be anything from a cool jazz version to a jungle to a hip hop to a death metal to a, like it's whatever you know. And I'm really looking forward to hearing you know the most extreme versions of songs whereby people just take them and whatever kind of band you are, uh, don't be precious with it because we're not we're not precious about our music. In fact, we're not. This is a strange thing also about the midnight e- exhibition at the Newcastle Gallery is that we're actually not really nostalgic people at all. It's just that I had all this stuff in the. Um, I'd never thrown out. I'm just a terrible hoarder. Yes. And it was in the attic, and, and it was either going to go in the skip bin or it was going to go in an exhibition. And I was walking past the Manly Gallery Museum one day, and a light went on, which doesn't happen very much with drummers, but I took the opportunity. <laughs> I went in there and I said, What do you think? You know, how about we just take one of the rooms and we fill it full of Midnight Oil stuff? And And the next day they called back and said, Yes. And that really put me on the spot. I thought, okay, right. So, and then what happened over the two years is we went from one room to two rooms, and then we occupied the entire five rooms of the gallery and went for three months, (laughs) you know, with I don't know how many thousands of people came through, but it was free and it was just, it was just. It was just great. And our dear friend Andrew Denton um, was there on opening night and we got all of our old crew and ex-base players um, from, you know, Andrew James uh, and Giffo got up and and Gary Morris came up, our manager from Tassie, and Nick Elvin, our lighting man. And, uh, like, it was just all, all the crew and everything. It was just a lovely gathering of the tribes. Oh, you're and getting we're... all mellow and soft in yeah, your well, like, now, and Yeah, are And I expect Newcastle will be the same because, after all, Newcastle meant so much to the band at the time. We went... We went time, time again, you know, until we finally did a huge gig uh, on Redhead Beach. I don't know if you remember that one. It was just we expected to find a couple of thousand people, and there must have been twenty-five, thirty thousand people on Redhead Beach. And, and it was just, and that kind of paid paid us back, if you like, for all the hard work. Because I remember we'd talk, we'd spoken to the Angels and Chisel, who just preceded us a little bit, and they said. You know, you've got. If you get places like Newcastle, you'll get the most loyal audience on earth. But you've just got to keep going up, keep going mm. up, and then, and that's what happened, you know. And then, and then, of course, a few years later was the uh, the earthquake benefit, which I think it must be thirty years next year coming up commemoration. We're we twenty
0: five years.
1: Yeah. Twenty five years. I beg your pardon. Yeah. yeah. And um, so we were lucky enough to be on that massive bill on that day too. And that that gig goes down as one of the the great shows we've ever played with all those other bands.
0: Oh, and phenomenal indeed. And yet 25 years next month.
1: There yeah, I know. It, yeah, that doesn't feel like 25 years, but I did dig out a poster of the earthquake gig and I saw all these very young rock people It's like before and after shots Well there is a a wonderful
0: (laughs) photograph that was taken from in front of the stage but facing the crowd and this gorgeous young woman on a bloke's shoulders, so the rest of the crowd is you know down and it's just really her above the top of the crowd, really iconic earthquake concert photograph and there was a bit of a quest to try and find her and the guy that she was sitting on uh, earlier this year, so I, I think we actually Actually, finally hunted them down, but um, oh, great! Oh, such an important time, and and our music history is just such a huge part of all of us. I'm a Northern Beaches kid, so I wasn't at the Redhead gig. I was probably I don't know seeing the Mentals down at you know DY or something My, like that. Of yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, or something like that. Rob, was there a plan when the band was first established when Midnight Oil? first started, because most bands seem to come together. Certainly during that hour, it's a bunch of mates, they're just going to have a little bit of a play, and next thing, you know, they're having success, and there never seems to be a plan, but they run with it. The oils always seemed that there was some sort of plan.
1: Well, it, it's, it's kind of you to say that, but like all bands, we were stumbling from one gig to the next. But if we had a plan, it was more like an anti-plan about what not to do, because we'd heard all these terrible uh, stories about um, bands that we loved that had ended much too early or before their time, mm. through no fault of their own. They were brilliant musicians, songwriters, performers, but, you know, through management or lousy agency deals or or record company stuff ups or something they hadn't fulfilled their potential and um, so we we kind of looked at them and we um, because we were Pete and I had done some law Pete finished his law I never did we were we knew a little bit uh, uh, we knew our way around kind of a contract so when we finally signed with an independent label even though we had been chased by the majors at the time that that made us too anxious so we signed with an independent label which we called uh, Powderworks after the first song on the first album and then went from there and sort of gradually eased ourselves in rather than sort of threw ourselves in Uh, to the deep end and I think that stood us in good stead because then we were able to sort of build up this very loyal live crowd initially in Sydney, Newcastle and Wollongong and then interstate and then gradually filled in the dots Uh, but because we took it softly softly you know we I don't think we made those horrendous mistakes that some of these other great Australian bands had done.
0: Yeah, but Rob, all the other boys in bands were trying to seduce us with songs of sex and drugs and rock and roll and you guys were going, well, no, hang on, look over here. <laughs>
1: yeah, I yeah, know. We were decidedly unsexy and we didn't take nearly enough drugs, although I was on ascorbic acid for about 15 years. Oh, <laughs> even child Vitamin C, 20, yeah. But um, the other thing I should say, of course, is Gary Morris, our manager, because mm. um, probably the two most maligned rock managers at the time, Chris Murphy, who looked after in excess, and Gary Morris, who, by the way, initially looked after in excess and then looked after just us when he realised that we were more than a handful. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that Chris Murphy could have in excess. But, um, those managers were much feared and not very, not very liked in the industry, but they were fiercely loyal to their bands. And and Gary not only was was uh, you know a real strong arm a rot kind of manager, which you need to protect a young band mm. that has big ideas but, you know, no money in the bank. <laughs> but um, but also had the, had all, threw all these crazy ideas at us all the time, you know, and one of every hundred of his crazy ideas was actually brilliant, which we'd do, you know. And so it was just uh, – it's funny with bands, Carol. You know, you the best bands seem to have been the most unlikely bunch of people, and I include the management in that, you know, all thrown together um, and all providing different kind of talents – to an end, which makes the sum much stronger than the individual. So, with Midnight All, for example, and the same, and the same with Chisel, the songwriters weren't the singer. In case of Chisel, you know, it'd be Don Walker writing for Jimmy, and with the oils, it was Jim and myself writing for Pete. And then there were others in the band that were great performers. I mean, Pete was just this extraordinary, charismatic singer, of course, and uh, and then Jim was a whiz in the studio, and Martin was great with arrangements, and and so everyone sort of, you know, had their place, and and with management working, and then with an interested record company, and. Of course, back in those days, you actually sold albums. You know, they weren't all mm. pirated or downloaded for free. So we could quickly pay back that poor bank manager at the ANZ in Chatswood and then get going, you know, <laughs> and make our own career, even though we didn't play Countdown and didn't play the industry game.
0: No, you didn't, did you?
1: No, no. We um, we were a bloody-minded bunch of bastards back then.
0: And maybe that's why we just all thought, oh, look, they're fabulous, but they're a bit cranky. They're angry young men.
1: Yeah, yeah. We were cranky all the time. In fact, if you look at photos back then, we are always looking really cranky. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Indeed.
1: I mean, a lot of bands want to look cranky, but we were actually cranky because we were tired and probably hungry and pissed off about something.
0: Yeah, well, see, it's, you know, as a young woman
1: in the audience, going to see you guys or going
0: to see Hunters and Collectors, it was a bit of an intimidating experience.
1: Yeah, well, look, if you were anywhere near the front of the stage at a midnight all gig or, for that matter, Rose Tattoo or the Angels or Chisel or whatever, you know, you were you were, you were were of a fairly tough breed. You I, know?
0: I was happy up the back, Rob, I can assure you. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. and, the sound, and the sound is always much better down the back, actually. Yeah, well,
0: that can be subjective, though. Before I let <laughs> you go, you mentioned Peter Garrett, and there's a lovely story around this week. I'd love to know how much of it's true that Robert Plant has knocked back somewhere between $500 million and $800 million. Just wrap your head around that for a sec. <laughs> to, to reform Led Zeppelin. What have we got to do to get the Oils to play together?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know about the Oils, but with Robert Plant, I just really admire the man. You know, he keeps reinventing, does all this. Uh, he's got this Shapeshifters, this amazing band, which we saw at Bluesfest. You know, there's someone, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's long been not about the money for people like members of Led Zeppelin and those bands, but, um, but it's another thing, sort of cruising around the pubs and just playing a medley of your greatest hit, you know, and a lot of bands fall for that trap, and Midnight Oil, I think, amongst that, bunch of bands that would be much too musically curious to have ever done that. You know, if we were to ever get back together, it would almost certainly be with new material and, you know, we'd have to feel like there was actually, we were contributing something rather than just some sort of nostalgic act, you know, in the sparkly jackets doing the clubs kind of thing. So, uh, but whether that'll happen, I just got no idea. I just... Keep running along the Manly Corso just in case. Oh yeah,
0: all right, indeed. <laughs> well, as we've discussed before, um, I did my schoolwork experience at Powderworks Records and what I haven't confessed to you before is really? that the one thing that I wish I had done, I was such a good kid, Rob, I really was, when they were squeezing out the black vinyl copies of Bird Noises <laughs> and the tech there was explaining to me, oh, and this here, this is the mother and we press the vinyl and I really wish I'd pinched one and ran. Run.
1: I've got one for you. I've got all the test pressings, as they used to be called. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll keep one for you. I'll bring it up uh, for the for the Midnight All exhibition okay. uh, next year.
0: You're on. Rob Hurst, it's always lovely to speak with you. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to seeing you next year. And uh, thank you so much for getting right into the spirit of the competition. We can't wait to have the Hurst folly stinking us out at Newcastle Museum. <laughs> 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 I'm going to go the... in there and stick to your carpet, Rob Hurst.
1: But the Follies become such a talking point, or was, for for the exhibition in Manly that it's a bit like a lead singer that leads, leaves a band. It's like it's, 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 the folly's arrogant now. It's going to do its own tour and, like, reject the rest of the exhibition and go off and, <laughs> <laughs> and do a solo
0: tour. Oh, dear. And the folly was built in Newtown. Enough said. Yeah. Oh, boy,
1: oh, boy. <laughs>
0: Rob Hurst, it's okay. always a delight. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Carol.